Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. It is so good to be back with you, Johns Creek Church, and to worship with you on this special day. If you would, uh, if you have your Bibles and would like to find the passage, we are in Luke chapter 15, and we are studying together the parable of the prodigal son and the elder brother from this passage over these three weeks, a parable of lost and found, or what I said last week, lost foundness. And before we read this passage together, I just want to tell you how much I have admired your church. You have been such a great leader for us in Baptist life, especially in CBF life, in your Sunday school communities, your mission work on the border, as well as in the Dominican Republic, and all the many ways that you minister right here in the greater Atlanta area. So thank you for modeling and demonstrating to me as a former pastor and now as a seminary president just about, uh, just on the outskirts of Chicago, Illinois, where Northern Baptist is located. Thank you for what you're doing. And, and I'll tell you, there are five pastors that I call when I want to know how to pastor. And your pastor is one of those five. Now, you know you have the cream of the cream of the crop, right? Okay. You are taking care of him, aren't you? Okay. But thank you, Sean. And thank you, church, for giving him a chance to renew his mind. You already know his body is as renewed as possible, so now he can renew his mind, and we can together. Because on this day, I want to invite you to enter the story. Last week, I shared with you a telling of the parable. But you know, Jesus tells stories not just to give us something to remember, but he invites us to live them and to retell them. And the parable of the prodigal son is made for us to read together. So, I have a part for you. I'll read the leader part, the narrator, and I want to invite anyone who's a father to read the father part, and anyone who is a son, which might be some of the same people, a son to read the son's parts, and then everybody else who hasn't been included to read the part of the servants this morning. And just in case your Bible is not marked this way, right? We've provided the words on the screen, all right, just to guide you, okay? So, here we go this morning. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, So, he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and set off and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said... So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, But the father said, to his slaves. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. What was it like to hear yourself listening to or saying those words? Jesus not only tells parables to give us a new story of our lives, he also tells us a parable like this one to tell us what our lives really are like. It's one thing to be lost. That creates all kinds of problems. Whether we are lost, as we discovered last week, as a prodigal son in recklessness or as lost as an elder brother in resentment. But it's a whole other problem to be found have you ever wandered off, gone away, dare I say even run away 
only to be greeted back at your home with open arms by one parent, so glad to see you, and the other parent with that look. Where in the world have you been? You see, foundness creates as much of a challenge for us as lostness. Because the Father puts his finger on what really is our human condition. And he does it in the first, really the second verse of our passage here. Because when his younger son comes to him, Jesus tells us that the father in response does something remarkable here. Verse 12 tells us that he divided his property between them, which is a nice English version way of saying what the Greek word actually says. It actually says there in verse 12 that the father divided his life between them. In other words, he sacrificed his life, his identity, his share. The fact that he was the one in the city who knew everything. He was willing to give up his life. By doing this, he creates an incredible tailspin in the life of his family. The older brother now has to be responsible for other things. It's not just that the younger son, we all know because we've been to a great Sunday school community here at Johns Creek, we all know the younger son is treating the father as if he's dead. But friends, realize the father is willing to give his life for his son. And he treats his son as if he's dead too. You do remember that when the prodigal returns, he says the remarkable words, he was dead. Now what's going on here? I mean, last week we learned that the Father says to all of us children, everything I have is yours, and yet we somehow want to either earn that grace he's given us or we refuse resentfully out in the field, refusing to party. What's going on here that causes the Father and you and I to listen and learn and want to do something about this awful pain that we are in right now? Because the Father knows that the only way to bring a son or a nation or a city or a community or a church back to life is through sacrifice. And what the Father is willing to identify in each one of us this morning that I want us to wrestle with here in verse 12 today is something that I think in my observation as a pastor is pretty true of just about every violent incident that I've ever seen and every struggle that every person has had in their lives at one time or another, it is what Richard Rohr calls the father wound. The father wound. In this case, the father wound is the wound that his son has inflicted on him. He has divided his life. He's taken his life from him. The same thing goes with the elder brother out in the field. Resentfully refusing to come in is to shame the father. And I have discovered 
that I would say in 95% of the people that I have either worked with on staff, I have counseled with through baptism, that I've dealt with outside of the city of Chicago where my seminary is located, and every place I have found that each one of us carry around a father wound. Now, how would we recognize it? Well, sometimes it's when our children do things to us that deeply wound us, because all children do. Or if we're honest with each other, it is when we wound our children. Intentionally or unintentionally, because this is the way life is, because we are, yes, sinful, broken people. We are not the perfect parents that everybody sees on Facebook. No, we actually struggle. We say things that we didn't mean to say. It doesn't have to be physical abuse. It can happen sometimes in the lives of children because things happen beyond their control. A parent dies when the son or daughter is too young and they carry around a tear, a wound in their lives. And oftentimes, if you ask any middle school teacher, they will tell you that one of the signs of struggles in a home will be when the child begins to act out recklessly like a prodigal. Or... As I have found so oftentimes in church ministry, people become very self-righteous and resentful and angry at other people who aren't behaving because of some deep woundedness in their hearts and lives that go way back sometimes for generations. And what Jesus gives us the permission to do this morning is to admit it. Because at least this is just from my perspective, I can't account for every act of violence in our country today, but I can tell you by pastoral observation that at the root of most of the gang violence in Chicago, most of the abuse that's happening in police forces, the, the things that are happening in the lives of cities and communities, there is this deep woundedness left by parents that has gone untended and in that deep chasm as your pastor has so named it we oftentimes fill it with either as the prodigal recklessness reckless behavior or resentment of others but what the father does in the parable is so radical so transformational do you know what the father does for us he grieves because that's the only thing to do when someone dies. You grieve. Now, grief is simply hurt, unfinished hurt that refuses to accept the way life is today. That instead of just simply turning off the TV or looking the other way or hoping it all goes away, grief says, I am going to face up to what is really going on here. Grief, like the father does here, treats both of his sons, I think, as if they were dead because they are dead in their trespasses and sins. That's what Paul said of us in Romans 5. We are dead in our sin. And grief is that decision in life that in weeks like this, after a great Independence Day weekend, that we would come back and see reality as it is and we would hurt and groan with our world. 
It's the grief that I met face to face when I was first moving to Chicago and I ran into a, a lovely woman in the airport. She was sitting there in the, in the terminal waiting to board her plane and she had opened her Sunday school lesson. I recognized it because it was a lesson that we used in our church in Tallahassee. And I struck up a conversation with this African-American woman and I was asking her what brought her to Chicago and she was asking me what brought me to Chicago and I was talking about Northern Baptist Seminary and I said, well, what brings you up here? And her face fell. She said, well, I, I live in Atlanta. I said, oh, what part of Atlanta do you live in? Roswell. I said, well, I've got some friends near there. I said, what brings you up to Chicago? She said, I've been here for the for the funeral of my nephew. He was caught in the midst of gunfire, in some gang violence. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm on my way back to church, (laughs) and I'm reading my Sunday school lesson because I know my teacher would want me to be prepared for my lesson. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm going to be praying for you. And she closed that lesson. She pointed her finger right at this preacher. And she said, preacher, do you know what's going to fix this problem in our world right now? It's Jesus. Now, what that woman said to me in an airport in Chicago is a lesson that we are trying to apply right now. Because what we're asking, whether we're at Johns Creek Baptist Church or at Northern Baptist Seminary, is what kind of Jesus are we preaching here? Do we believe in the kind of Jesus that is going to reconcile people through the power of the cross that takes us in our death and brings us back to life again. And that's what the Father knows. Because out of that grief, something marvelous happens to him. He is filled with compassion. Now, compassion is yet another decision. It's not just a feeling. It's the decision that you make in your life when you see another person hurting and wounded. You may not hurt the same way they do. You may not understand exactly what our African-American sisters and brothers are going through. We may not know what it's like for a police officer to leave his family and go into the streets of inner city Atlanta right now. But somehow when we see what's going on, compassion says, you know what? I care enough about that person. I want to know what it's like to be them. Compassion is the decision to intentionally enter into another person's shoes, to walk with them, to go to them in their space, not just to invite them to come to you, but to feel and to think and to reach someone else on their terms in order to know what is going on inside them. And you might say, well, I can't know what's going on inside their heads. Right, but Christian compassion dictates to us that we try. That's not something that we can figure out on our cell phones. It's not something that we can simply accomplish in Fellowship Hall, although that's important. 
No, it causes us to surrender our position of power and authority and privilege to lay all of that down and say, okay, I want to go to the person who is not as fortunate and to sit down and say, all right, you tell me what it's like in your life right now. My friend Daniel Hill experienced that in his life. Graduated with a business degree, was headed off to the dot-com boom until the boom went bust. And Daniel felt a call to ministry. Daniel went to Moody Bible Institute and started working out in the suburbs in Barrington at Willow Creek Church. But something was stirring in his heart. That he wanted to be a part of the solution of what is going on in Chicago and found himself called to plant an intentionally multicultural, multi-ethnic church as a white pastor trying to worship beside people of all other races. And Daniel came to Northern Baptist Seminary to receive his Doctor of Ministry degree in Christian Community Development because Daniel wanted to learn what it was like to live inside someone else's shoes. Now, you don't have to be in the business world and become a pastor in order to enter into the life of someone else. No, what happens when we grieve with groans too deep for words, we with compassion begin to sit down with people who may not even be our next door neighbors. We may have to drive four or five miles to find someone not like us. But when we do, something remarkable happens we begin to love them as a father loves them. We use what Rembrandt marvelously depicted in his painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. We use a father's hands. Did you notice that? It's printed for you in your bulletin, but I want you to focus on something in this painting this morning. That Rembrandt, when painting this parable, The Return of the Prodigal Son, which, by the way, if you've ever seen it in the Hermitage, is taller than I am. It's huge. But the focus on the painting is on the hands. The hands are disproportionately larger than any other part of the body. The light falls on the painting, on the hands. And if you'll notice, the left hand is grizzled and rough. It's the hand of a father. Did you notice the right hand is soft and supple? It's the hand of a loving mother, too. A mother's soft touch a father's firm touch, welcoming and loving and embracing and kissing someone who, quote, doesn't deserve it because the prodigal carries around a father wound that maybe even the father doesn't know about yet. The father who has been wounded by his son is willing to embrace him and then to generously give him a robe, not just any robe, the best robe, the father's robe more than likely, a ring, a sign of his now authority in the household to represent the father. The sandals to restore his citizenship in the family household. And yes, even a feast. I guess, more than likely, the prodigal son and the elder brother and the father, they were all Baptists because they loved to eat. They killed the fatted calf, right? They had a feast and they celebrated. Why? They invited the whole village together who would have normally treated the prodigal as an outcast and the elder brother joining them out in the field. Instead, the prodigal and the elder have to celebrate even with the whole village. Why? Because the natural result of a return home is generosity. 
even to people who we would normally say don't deserve it. You see, friends, if we leave ourselves in a state of woundedness, we have not done our work as a church. But when we come to Christ, he not only takes us back as those who were once dead, but he heals our wounds, he transforms our lives, he invites invites us to rise to walk, as your pastor tells you, out of the baptistry waters in newness of life. So what about us today? What about those of us who may still carry around the wounds of fathers and children. I have found that the only people who are not healed by Jesus' love are those who deny that they have been wounded. Those who ignore, those who turn away from the needs of others. But if we are willing to enter into the parable ourselves and find ourselves there at the footsteps of a loving father, here's what he can do for you and your family this morning. He can accept and we can accept his acceptance of us. That all of us, this father included, has carried around wounds from our parents and grandparents. And I, too, have wounded my sons. Why is that? Because I'm a sinner, just like you. And I am constantly going to be dealing with this in my life. And you will, too. And as we said last week, life is not one long progression in the Christian life, like first grade, second grade, third grade, graduation. No, uh, the Christian life is a journey downward. We're not making progress. Christ is converting us. So the journey is downward into the bottom of our lives where he meets us at the pit. And there he accepts our confession and he accepts us exactly the way we are. That thank God, we are not just the perfect little family anymore and don't ever have to be but here's what Jesus does especially for those of us who've been carrying around wounds from our fathers and mothers and they have already gone home to be with the Lord here's what he does for us he takes those wounds on his life isn't that what the prophet Isaiah said by his stripes we are healed right He was wounded for our transgressions and, by the way, everybody else's transgressions too. And when he takes those upon himself on the cross, what he does for us then is we are able to surrender control of our lives and to receive everything he has for us. Remember what we said last week? Our motto for this whole series, everything that I have is yours. Did you practice this week? We'll just say it again if you forgot to practice. Let's say it together. Everything that I have is yours. Say it again. Everything that I have is yours. So if everything that Christ has is going to be yours, do you know what you get to do for your family today? Parents to children, children to parents, grandparents, and even those of us who are not parents. We get to admit our faults to each other in Christian love. 
We recognize to each other where we have hurt and injured one another intentionally or unintentionally. <laughs> if, if you've ever parented, if you're like me, sometimes you don't even know when you've done something wrong, right? But Christian confession says, I am going to admit my regrets and then I am going to do something remarkable. And you might not think this has anything to do with a father wound, but it's a strong sign that you are being healed from your woundedness. You begin to respect and pray for the persons in authority over you. Because one of the signs of deep woundedness in a person's life is that they refuse to accept the authority of teachers, of public servants, of pastors, and they are angry and resentful or they're reckless and acting out. And what the father wound does is what Jesus does in our woundedness. He says, I am going to teach you how to respect someone that you even disagree with. Because most of the time, those people are in our lives to teach us how to obey, even when it's uncomfortable. And when we begin to submit to those in authority over our lives, then something remarkable happens. <laughs> we are then able to generously love all of God's children around us. Now, let's just admit, we as Baptists like to jump to the party part, right? We like to jump to the food and celebration. But do you want to know what's really fun? Is when you have been willing to admit your grief and to grieve with those in need and have compassion on those who are hurting right now, we can enter into their world and then we have a feast and celebrate. We generously hand out our authority our dignity. We set aside our privileges and our rights and we have a feast and we celebrate with those who are lost, those who are left out, those who are the least, the last, the lost, the prodigals and the elder brothers. So are you ready to come home again? Are you ready, as the father said, to be dead and then to come back to life. You see, today, my guess before we march out into the streets of Alpharetta, the most powerful journey we might need to take is down the hallways of our homes, across the aisle to a person in the pew. And to say, I am not the perfect person that I wanted to be. But thank God, together we serve a father with hands outstretched in the field and running to a son in the far country and who welcomes us saying, you are dead, but you're alive again. You are lost, but you've been found. 
Would you bow with me for prayer? And so, loving Heavenly Father, who showed us who we really are by the power of your grace, your death, and your life, we accept our condition. We are tired of playing games and trying to become someone that you never expected us to be. We want to receive the image that you have already placed on us and to grant that image of God to others as well. And Lord, we admit the most difficult journey is after we have been found out. That it's after we have come back home that we must confront who we are and be confronted by those who know exactly what we've done. But Lord, we only do that because of you. Because we have come to you at the cross and through the power of your resurrection have made it possible for us to live again. So we pray that once again you would roll back the stone from the tomb. And may today be a day of healing from all the untended wounds, release from recklessness and resentment and reunion with those who have been found by you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.